Hello, and welcome to the Talking Precision Medicine podcast. In this series, we sit down with experts on the application of AI and big data analytics in the drug discovery space. Our guests are innovators, business decision makers, and thought leaders at the intersection of data and therapeutics. We discuss the promise, practice, challenges, and myths of AI and precision medicine. This show is brought to you by Genialis, and Raphael, its CEO, is your host. Genialis is focused on data integration and predictive modeling of disease biology to help accelerate the discovery and de-risk the development of novel therapeutics. Today, our guest is Yusuf Henriquez. Yusuf is the co-founder and CEO of True Genomics, a precision medicine company focused on the early detection and prevention of PTSD in military veterans and first responders. In this episode, Yusuf reminds us that every day counts because every day there are 20 to 22 veteran suicides. This is what keeps Yusuf up at night and keeps him pushing on all fronts to innovate a solution. Let's get right into it. So uh, thank you for joining me today. My guest today is Yusuf Enriquez. He's the founder and CEO of an amazing young company called True Genomics. I'm not going to do it justice. So Yusuf, why don't you tell us what True Genomics is all about? Thanks. True Genomics is a precision genomics company that's focused on finding solutions for PTSD and other mental health related illnesses uh, using uh, next gen sequencing. Uh, How did you guys come together? When and, and who's the team here? Yeah, so um, you know, a little backstory on that. Uh, in 2012, uh, my kid's aftercare provider, who I have three daughters um, that are now two in college and one in second year of high school. Mike was the aftercare provider for the school that my daughters attended. So once school was out in the afternoon, they would attend the aftercare program to about six o'clock in the afternoon. So my two-time Iraqi veteran, um, my kids had grown up to, to love Mike because they had attended the summer camps that he was a Barty um, representative for, and they also had given him the director for that program. Uh, he took his life due to PTSD-related illness. And that uh, created a fire in my belly that kind of helped and then also understood that there were 21 other Indian like Mike that had taken their lives that day. And that number was alarming to me that there were 22 veterans, including military folks, who were taking their lives. Um, I went on a crusade where I started finding out about system biology, my background, uh, providing a little bit of knowledge to kind of know where to look. And uh, True Genomics was really created because I was then selected as one of the research officers that were overseeing about $25 million worth of research at Mount Sinai. And that research then turned into a approved patent in January 2016 uh, that allowed me to create True Genomics that summer and actually got us to where we are today, which is developing this particular blood test to help identify those that may have this predisposition of um, PTSD if exposed to trauma or diagnosed with PTSD. Uh, fantastic. I want to ask you about the patent and the science, but first, let me, let me ask you a little about your background. So you're a combat veteran as well, is that correct? Yes, I was a combat medic, 91 Bravo, United States Army. And uh, one of your co-founders is also a veteran, is that correct? Yes, uh, Charles Catlin, who I met uh, in 2006. We both worked at the FDA. We had kind of, I had took the uniform off. Charles was a public health service officer, but he was an Air Force Academy graduate that then turned uh, into public health corps after his uh, military service ended. Uh, Charles is a 23-year veteran. He uh, served in the uh, Air Force and uh, retired last year when we moved out to Illumina to start our accelerator as a 06. So he retired at the, at the level of a 06, which is pretty much a full bird colonel. 
Oh wow! And then we have a third, yeah, yeah. So we, and then we have a third member of the team is Dr. Tashaka Cunningham, who uh, spent the most part of his last twenty years working for the federal government within the molecular biology space, working for the VA, and spent a lot of time working for pharma companies. So we all have about twenty plus years, whether it's federal or civilian um, experience within drug, device, and um, government relation experiences as well. This is what I love about you guys. It's and maybe not the most common founding team, but you've got deep military veteran experience, deep molecular biology experience. Chaco, remind me, he went to, to Princeton and Rockefeller. Is that right? So yeah, yeah, just a badass molecular biologist to begin with. Absolutely. Absolutely. And again, you know, um, Charles being Air Force, we both, Charles and I met at FDA. So mm-hmm. the next unique thing that this company has is we have two individuals with deep regulatory affairs mm-hmm. background within devices. I ended up working in drugs as well. So I have a mm-hmm. combination of drug and device experience so we bring a lot of knowledge and you know depth to the team you know even though it's three of us we've covered a lot of grounds in between the three of us in order to, to move this forward amazing tell me a bit about the patent you said catalyzed the uh, formation of the company so yes uh, you know unbeknownst to me I mean again um, I think after you know just a little bit to share with you so after that incident happened I was you know struggling with not being able to identify that Mike was going through some things. I saw him every day. So for about three months, you know, I was in the rut and I got this call January, 2013 that says, Hey, you were selected as the best qualified candidate to oversee this research that the DOD gave funding to being that is a federal position. I moved to New York and uh, within about three months, I found out that Rachel Yehuda, who is the vice chair of psychiatry at Mount Sinai had already started looking at this particular traumatic stress and how it affects the genes since 1991 at Yale in her postdoc. So by the time I got there, you call me the closer if you may, but she had already did mouse models. She had started this from, from you know, as a postdoc and had made it through, you know, doing validated trials um, with human subjects, both in Holocaust survivors and when after the World Trade Center occurred. So our patent is actually patented off of uh, controls and, and PTSD concurred patients that were from the World Trade Center cohort which is Mount Sinai is one of the the repository. And so we were able to put together the last bit of statistical evidence to show the highest p-value for about four genes that directly correlate to the uh, having a traumatic uh, event occur. And we were able to get that patent approved after uh, seven years. It was submitted in 2009. And seven years later, we were able to get that patent. January 26th of 2016, it was approved. Uh, very cool. Now, that sounds like a, a solid foundation. So where are you guys going from, from there? The patents, the, the kernel, um, how do you see improving on that? So that's what we've done, right, Mom? So once I was able to convince Mount Sinai that we, uh, three, three young gentlemen uh, with, you know, with no um, company experience had the background and the knowledge to kind of carry this to commercialization. I, I received an exclusive license for Europe, U.S. and Penn in Canada from Mount Sinai's exclusive um, rights. And then I took the team and presented it to Illumina, who had created a genomics-only accelerator company. They were in their third year. We were part of the seventh cycle, and I, we pitched it to the executive team there, and we were able to get into the accelerator, which was two things for us. One gave us huge credibility of getting in because we had something tangible and looked commercializable. And then the resource that Illumina gave us, being able to build our blood tests on their uh, platform gave us a wide open opportunity to then be able to market that to the DOD and the VA because we now can show that we're able to scale. 
And so we've developed that gene panel with the help of Illumina as of December 2018. And we're now here in the D.C., Maryland area talking to the DOD and the VA of doing a prospective study um, with Department of Defense recruits coming in the military and potential veterans that are leaving the military going into the veteran population, which is two different agencies. Now, how do you see ultimately um, a test like this, a blood test for PTSD, how do you see it being deployed in the real world and, and what's both kind of a tangible impact you think it'll make and also sort of your dream of the change in the world you hope to catalyze? So seven years ago, I thought surveys are just not enough. As you know, the current standard right now is very ineffective. You get a survey when you join the military, ask you a bunch of questions. Depending on your dire situation to leave whatever environment you're in, you may not be up upfront with the answers, right? That's just the reality. And so what we looked at in my head, I said, well, being a medic, I need to be able to triage those that are at high risk, just like I would do on the battlefield. And that's where the inception and the idea of being able to identify those that may have this predisposition or identify those that have this non-verbally, so a non-reporting screening tool is what I had envisioned. And so I'm able to carry that out now. But revolutionizing the way screening is being done. As you know, this, you know, we've seen it for the last 15 years has been 20 to 22 suicide. So we know there needs to be improvement. I'm not saying my test will replace that the current standard, but we need to enhance it because we're losing young veterans to suicide because what happens is you're not able to identify those that are suffering mm -hmm. and then they go two to three years you know, self-medicating. And then by the time you get to them, it's a little bit too late and they're already on you know, substance abuse or drug right. abuse. Um, so the way this test I see revolutionizing, we'll be able to get a baseline of every individual coming in, which is no different than what the military does now. Right. We'll just be collecting a special tube called the Pax gene tube to preserve the RNA and DNA. And then we look at the epigenetics of an individual over time and make some real clinical support decisions as, you know, what is triggering some of these individuals to start having these episodes? Is it multiple deployments? Mm -hmm. Is it one trauma? Is it two trauma? We don't know those answers. And so this is test that we've developed right now is just the baseline. And gotcha. there's many, a lot more enhancement to come. So, so to say that back, you're looking to essentially be able to do a before and after or maybe even a, a longitudinal study per, yes. per enlistee, per service member. Yes. And so our goal is to get in and do about 2000 just to do a pilot prospective. Mm -hmm. And then hopefully this becomes policy that everybody that's joining the military, whether it's 17 years old and mm -hmm. they do 40, 30 years like my uncle did, will have that data set. Because as you know, we do get physical assessment mm -hmm. over our military time. There's just no objectivity to it. It's really sure. just going a clinician that's, as you know, is overworked, is trying to make an assessment of an individual in the next 20, 30 minutes that they see him as a patient. So as you know, in the, in the precision medicine space, there's a huge amount of energy and conversation and effort around um, how to better purpose electronic health record data. Now, I'm, I'm only trying to imagine what, what does the reams of paper look like on service member, you know, physical and mental profiles. Yes. Where, where do we start thinking about parsing that stuff? Well, so, you know, the good thing is about timing, right? The other thing about where we are as far as our research, um, that's evolving. So the VA and the DOD have finally realized that they need to work together, right? So who are for the, for the veterans and, and active duty? They've also started to digitize a lot of these. Mm -hmm. So like the complexity of that was that they were multiple providers for those. So recently, over the last two to three years, they have consolidated those. And so Cerner, who is a large electronic health record platform, has now received the contract for both the DOD and the VA to create that interoperability. 
Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we're not all the way there yet, but uh, my uncle just got out in the military and his profile was digitized. Okay. So I, I, there's, there's, uh, there's some hope that that will be able to move forward and be able to digitize a lot of the electronic health record and have those two systems talk. Mm-hmm. So a veteran or an active duty member don't spend all their time trying to talk about their last 20 year history. Yeah. Give, give me just a sense of the order of magnitude. How many veterans' records are there, you know, veterans' health records in the system somewhere? So, so just give you a snapshot, about 9 million active duty service members, and then the, mil- the veteran population is about 20 million. Okay. But there's only about 8 or 9 million that are actively seeking care at the VA. Okay. So as you can see, that's only, what, one-fourth of the individual that's mm-hmm. veterans that are even being seen by the VA. And gotcha. so that, that, there's a huge drop-off of when you get out in the military to if some of those veterans ever make it to secondary care, which is at the VA, which they're eligible for if they just mm-hmm. stepped into the VA hospital. Right. Um, so what you see is that disconnect. And so we're hoping that if I'm able to attract these individual veterans, they'll be used to having these evaluations and then carry that along once they get out of the military, because we'll know who, and if we, they don't come in, we'll have that database to know who those individuals that are at high risk right. to start reaching out to them, because we have all their, the DOD has all the information. Gosh, I have so many questions. Okay, I, I'll just talk about some of the areas I want to go, and maybe you can tell me where you want to go. One, I'm interested to understand now what the interventions are. So, you know, based on the survey method, surely some people at least registers as needing some sort of um, support. Yeah. Uh, what are the, the sort of standards of care today for people within the VA system who show signs of PTSD after combat or after service. Um, I'm so interested. A, uh, yeah, let's, let's just start there. I'll write down my question. We can come back to it. Absolutely. So, so just give you a snapshot. Over yeah. the last 20, 30 years, mm-hmm. we've had what we call the DSM 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, right? We're up to 5 now. What that is, it determines what PTSD is, what bipolar is, what depression mm-hmm. is. What we're seeing with the military community is when a clinician sees you, he gives you the survey, but he doesn't know what you really have. Is it PTSD? Mm-hmm. Is it depression? Mm -hmm. Uh, Do you have some other kind of mental illness? And what you start to see is this kind of Mm crapshoot, this guessing game. So they use the survey, which is about 50% accurate, to determine if you have a psychological profile. And then it's a guessing game on which medication works for you. And on the back end, being that I worked at FDA, we know that that doesn't have a high inclusion factor, right? So diversity Mm -hmm. is not big in the drug trials. So it's 95% European white male. Mm -hmm. So you're looking at a huge drop off of some of these medications not even working for your ethnic backgrounds, mm-hmm. African-Americans, Chinese, or even women of any mm-hmm. social background. So it's kind of still trial and error. And so the objective portion is, is this doctor is going to look at you and I looking at each other and is trying to make an assessment if you have something. The struggle with that is, is that the guys that may really need it, but just don't look visibly affected, leave that hospital and unfortunately are taking their lives in the parking lot on VA campuses right now. Wow. Um, because again, the, the courage that it took to come in to say you have an issue, to hear a clinician say that you don't have a problem. And right. some of that, again, is not only the clinician, they're overworked. And the problem is there's no objective way for you to identify an individual, just mm-hmm. like I wasn't able to tell that Mike had a certain condition going on. Yeah, I like that you you commented earlier that you see this supplementing the, the self-reporting because, you know, one thing you certainly wouldn't want in any kind of diagnostics realm is for someone who's presenting with the disease to, for whatever reason, not show the molecular signature, yes. just because molecular biology has some inherent yes. uh, heterogeneity. 
Absolutely. And, and again, that's why, I mean, this is more, um, again, and we know that the, the, this has been a long standard gold standard, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but what, what we're not, I think to your question that you asked before is what, I, we, what I'm not okay with is the fact that we've only identified exposure therapy mm-hmm. and cognitive behavioral therapy as the only treatment right. options, right? So the VA currently right now, of course, are exploring others because of political pressure and mm-hmm. veterans not wanting to go psychotherapy route and CBT mm-hmm. and re-experience their trauma. Because again, we don't know if that may be one of the triggers. So, so, you know, there's a lot of exploration in that area. And so, you know, what I want the VA and the DODs to do is keep that open mind with more data and information that we're mm-hmm. able to provide from the molecular level, as you mentioned. No, really, that's, that's really interesting. Who are the, the major patient advocacy groups for PTSD among the, the veteran population? So traditionally, you know, we have what we call veteran service or VSOs, veteran service organizations. So that's your DAV, your AMVETS, your American Legion. Uh, now the younger group, we have what they call IA, IAVA, which is the Iraq, Afghanistan Veterans of America. Um, but again, you know, one of the issues with those groups, they always have some social political area that they're focused on, right? Is whether mm-hmm. it's advocacy for PTSD, it's advocacy for women veterans. So the efforts among, amongst them are always different. And so I've talked to about four or five of them. One of the biggest concerns I have there, these are long-standing institutions and they have not really understood the area of healthcare and genomics. Mm-hmm. And so that's the area of lag for them yeah. because they're big on advocacy, but you know, it's going on the hill, putting on a suit and talking about access for all. But you know, what, what are these things that we need to do? What are the objective measures within this PTSD realm that we can actually make a dent on? I think, you know, some of the, the, the ways they're going about it is all wrong. They're waiting for treatment. But that individual now has been 15, 20 years struggling with PTSD. What do you do with an individual like that? So I'm, my approach is the early detection, early prevention. And if that means, you know, being a medic, if that means an individual doesn't get steered towards a combat stress-related position and still able, like Charles did, he was mm-hmm. colorblind. He joined the Air Force, wanted to be an Air Force pilot, Top Gun, and found out he was colorblind. I knew that from the way he dressed anyway. <laughs> um, but, but again, didn't get, could not that he couldn't A whole start. lot of brown shoes with black belts, that kind but, of thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, a lot, a lot of miscoordination <laughs> there. And so when he exposed that, I was like, well, I, <laughs> that was a good idea. <laughs> Um, but no, but, but yeah, but then on, on that note is we're not trying to stop members from joining the military. We right. need to know. We're, we have more information now to make better informed decisions. And that individual could still go and serve. But right. now we know that Yusuf that just joined may have this predisposition and we're not waiting for them. The mechanism is to be reactive. Right. I like to be proactive. And that's sure. really where I see the value add for this for my test. No, I'm, you know, I'm thinking about the data set that you guys can potentially generate. And even with your, your prospective study, you're going to have two things, an, an incredibly rich data set for both PTSD, but also secondary indications, right? Especially if you guys do a good job of labeling the data. And then the other thing, you know, you'll have is a really, really kind of interesting uh, challenge to mine it, to, to apply modern computational biology and, and artificial intelligence type techniques to really get the most out of it. Yes, absolutely. And, and that's what we're preparing for. And that's what our corporate strategy included, mm-hmm. why we went to Illumina directly. Mm-hmm. I could have went to the Y Combinators or the 500 Startup, but we needed right. a group that understands system and platform related to genomics, mm-hmm. the, the gigantic amount of data that's going to be generated from doing whole genome sequencing on mm-hmm. millions of patients mm-hmm. and how to 
address that. So that was one of our core component in making sure we were attractive enough to attract the attention of Illumina mm-hmm. and then, then start to build a platform that we know is going to scale rapidly. If we're able to get into the DOD and the VA to start mm-hmm. doing, I mean, just to mention, we're talking about uh, just one individual soldier gets mm-hmm. uh, at least a yearly physical mm-hmm. and then one before, after every deployment. So mm-hmm. imagine somebody like my uncle that's been on six to eight tours, a physical every year. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of data to collect. And so, you know, as we're building this, we're considering the fact that we need to make sure we have the intellectual knowledge that we're building to scale, not right now, but for the future. No, I think it's incredibly a promising project. Who are the, the champions of this um, internally in the DOD and VA? Where do you see the most excitement for this kind of program and sort of you know, new tech adoption? Yeah. So as I mentioned to you, it took until 2013 with the high visibility of these 22 suicides. You know, they started calling it uh, the parking lot, the VA parking lot suicides that started being rampant. And over the news over the last few months, you heard a lot of veterans taking their lives in public places. Um, so the DOD funded about $100 million in the cohort that I was in, responsible for, well, a quarter of it. And so uh, roughly about $200 million since then between the DOD and the VA to fund this. And so, but the problem is it's a lot more R&D and a lot of batters, like the Colonel mentioned, a lot of batters and no cake. True Genomics would like to develop up the cake and, and deliver that cake. And so the veteran service organizations are really kind of the champions to kind of figure out what needs to be done. Because again, I think what we're finding out is the DOD and the VA have certain parameters on the way they do things, right? They could fund research, they could do this, but it really comes down to getting a champion like a veteran service organization to change the direction of the pipeline mm-hmm. and start looking at innovation and how that could help. It's a little slow on the on the VA side. Um, the DOD seems a little bit more open because they need to deal with the brunt of some of the you know the soldier readiness. So so you know the mandates now been put out to both agencies, which is good. How they effectively execute it is left for interpretation. Because um, I give you an example: seven hundred and sixty thousand samples were collected for the Million Veteran Program, an initiative that kicked off in 2012, 2013, of really getting down to some of the science, right? Unfortunately, only 80,000 of those 760,000 have been sequenced to date. Which is still a pretty remarkable data set, but I get your point. It's a fra- it's, it's, it's fractional. It's fractional. It's, it's, you know, it, it's, it's just piecemeal and piecemeal. And what was the goal of the One Million Veterans Program, or what is the goal? What, what's the intent for those millions of, se- you know, million sequences? The intent was to get actually fresh blood. Mm-hmm. So this is a Million Veteran Program where the veteran consents and agrees to collect clinical information Mm-hmm. And as along with uh, a blood sample. Okay. So you can see those two data rich points are very valuable to now add what we call the, the new improved science, which is next gen sequencing, mm-hmm. and also coupling that with AI to start looking at disease management and start mm-hmm. looking at the genes and, 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 and different disease area morphs over time during the military or veteran mm-hmm. lifespan. Yeah, well, one of the things I find so exciting about your approach, and I'm not sure how much uh, Tashaka is leading this or if it was the idea from the beginning, you guys are interested in epigenetic marks, which is, yes. you know, it's a, a part of the, the sort of molecular uh, milieu that my company is very familiar with and very fond of, which is maybe yes. why I like it so much. <laughs> but that's cool because we, we know that it changes. We know it changes and epigenetic state changes due to environmental factors, but it also can serve as, as a marker for cell type specificity. And so yes. it's complicated, but I think it, it may be the right reason out for you. So that was our, our, our strategy, right? We kind of built the plane from, from the back to the front. We mm-hmm. said, well, 
where are we trying to go? Which, as you mentioned, very complicated. Mm -hmm. But I think it was the only way to, to, to build what we're trying to build. Mm -hmm. We know what we have here was a baseline. So, you know, with, with the expertise and help, of course, Dr. Cunningham and the fact that he sat at the VA and funded a lot of research within mm -hmm. the molecular space. And then the, the, the expertise we got from Illumina. I mean, we had $400,000 worth of expertise being Gary Schroth, who is the RNAC. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was down meeting with us at least twice a week. Um, yeah. So we, we were a really able to use the knowledge base, um, both internally to the company and with Illumina, to really think about how we plan on, on scaling this and being as effective in making sure we're not leaving out areas like you mentioned a multi-omics approach, looking at the epigenetic. And that takes an individual that understands the military, right? We know mm -hmm. we have individuals that have served multiple tours, been to multiple locations, and we couldn't ignore the fact that environmental aspect does play a key role. Yeah, one of the things this kind of reminds me of a bit is the, the NASA twin study, except that was literally on two dudes, and you're looking to do this across, <laughs> you know, eight to 20 million people, so. Yes, yes, yeah, very, very large task force. <laughs> <laughs> you'll, you'll need an army uh, to absolutely. get it done. Yeah, need a village and an army. So um, again, uh, we, we strategically made sure we were going with technology that we know were, were advanced thinking. Mm -hmm. uh, now, as your question before is, we need to get these individuals within the DOD and the VA to kind of think, not short term, but long term. And I, and I think that's where some of the complexity comes in is where we do Band-Aid fix mm -hmm. and then we have to go back and build other structures and then we start ending up with different silo of information. So it sounds like your, your next milestones are both kind of managing this sort of regulatory environment, but also hitting these scientific proofs with your, your first prospective cohorts. Yes. So uh, where we are is because we, um, again, knowing where the technology is going, most of the cohorts that outside of ours have gone the microarray route because it's cheaper. And again, another business decision we had to make, uh, but we just saw the value of going next-gen sequencing long-term. What first thing we have to do is validate what we've done. Same replicate pretty much what the patent did, but on a new platform, which is take it from microarray, bumping it up mm -hmm. to a next gen platform, which is what we're currently doing right now with a very unique data set that we've handpicked. So okay. we have 500 blood samples from the Grady Trauma Project, which is a huge African American cohort down in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, high prevalence of trauma within a civilian population in the African American community down at Grady Memorial. Mm -hmm. And uh, we finally we're able to get through the regulatory loopholes of getting the World Trade Center. Okay. So we currently have 490 RNA and DNA PACS gene tube from 490 World Trade survivors, which are first responder, firefighters, and police officers with a very unique about 15% Hispanic, 20% African-American. Okay. And we finalized our CRADA with the Canadian Army. So okay. we've now looked at a secondary market, which is the Canadian Armed Force, who have given us 100 samples as of last week. So we have about 1,100 samples that we're going to use to validate our, our next-gen platform using the methods that were created, that was used, except for the platform, the microarray, which was done on the patent that we hold. And that will be able to show that there's efficacy in, in what we have to identify individuals with this predisposition or further on down the road to do diagnosis. And that we feel like that'll be the, the, um, the compelling factor to get a, a ticket to the party with the DOD and the VA. So as of we spoke right now, last month, the DOD submitted, uh, sent out a proposal, an RFI, a non-self-report screening tool for PTSD. Go mm -hmm. figure that after seven years that I had this vision in my head, <laughs> the DOD finally released a request for information, which we submitted a response to. Maybe all the, uh, 
the stereotypes of the government moving slower earned for some reason or another. <laughs> we're, we're, we're trying to push them. We're going to yeah. push them. It's going to be one of my job to push them because this is to, mm-hmm. to the point, you know, every day is another 20 to 22. And right. I count those numbers every day. And that's 7,300. So since I started this, unfortunately, that's about 49,000 right. for seven years. Well, and this was, this was also the point that, for example, John Stewart made in his, his really powerful testimony to, in front of Congress a couple of weeks ago. Yes. You know, he was raking Congress over the coals. What, what they've done by being slow is they've cost people time. And time is the most valuable thing you have it's in it, life. Can't, can't get it back. No. Can't get it back. And, and, you know, as you said, every day I wake up, it's a new number. Um, and and that that's what keeps me up at night and keeps mm-hmm. me pushing and keeps me uh, running all over the country trying to raise funding to yeah. get the thing done because again the government moves so slow I have to rely on outside VCs to get this going mm-hmm. and then let them chime in when they finally figure out that we're on the right path sure well you know you take a multi-pronged approach that's it so you know in the next couple months you guys are gonna raise money you're gonna have these first proofs where do you want to be, you know, a year from now, two years from now? What do you see as sort of the trajectory? Absolutely. A year from now, based on our milestone, we've, uh, we've accomplished a lot. I, I, when I look at the milestone, I'm filling in the shades of gray. I was like, wow. You know, mm-hmm. We incorporated 2017 as a C-Corp. Mm-hmm. We were able to get the exclusive license nailed down first quarter of last year, 2018. We got into the Illumina Accelerator and built the MVP by December of last year. That's a lot to carry around. Moved out to California and was able to get the MVP done. The samples took a little bit tougher because the, the sample side that I wanted, which is the World Trade Center because I oversaw that as a VA employee. So I know it was collected clean. I know the RNA is uh, preserved. And so we're going to get a good readout when we do the sequencing. Um, Where we are right now, I don't have what we've convinced Illumina to give us a little in-kind service to do some of the sequencing to get a preliminary data set. But I have to sequence the other 10,000 that I have to do, which is going to take a little bit of funding. And so next in a, in a year from now, we're hoping that we are able to show the DOD and get a pilot September of this year to do about 2,000 patients, both on the DOD and the VA side, and be ready to scale large um, amounts next year. This time, we're looking at 30, 40, even 80,000 patients, um, both from the DOD and the VA. That sounds incredibly promising. I'm super excited about this for you guys. Um, I hope we can be helpful to you if if, uh, you need help on the analytics side, for sure. No, definitely. Look, again, it's going to take a village. Um, we need forward think. I think when we spoke, um, we lo- love the approach that, you know, Jimmy Alice has taken of looking at, you know, things the way we, we love the lens that you guys are looking. Because, again, it's one thing to go with what's now. But what we are looking for, we're looking for the forward thinking because we know what it's going to take. As you said, to be uh, analyzing what we're talking about close, let's just say we get 5 million patients. That's a lot of data. Just, just being low ball. We, we know there's a, approximately 20 million out there. Just say we, we had 25% of that. That's going to be a lot of data. And we mm-hmm. need team and forward thinkers that know how to navigate and not put ourselves in a box mm-hmm. where we have to go do build a whole new solution from the ground up sure. a year to two years from but this is going to get so cool because you know you're going to have your your early detection you'll have your early intervention these longitudinal data sets and kind of by definition it's it's personalized medicine it's very it's very precision medicine right because each person's going to have um, that's the definition of <laughs> yep that's the definition of precision medicine but you guys will also be poised to to change the way that these diseases are treated also you're going to start to see you know evidence of different interventions having yes. effects right yes policy wise and but you know as you know you got to be able 
able to show back it up, right? And so the approach, as you just mentioned, let's get one piece of it nailed down and then we get into the policy. Then we get into changing the way things are kind of currently being done. And so we see that as a strategic approach on how to really bring the numbers to shed light on the fact that the way things are currently being done needs to be uh, improved. Fantastic. Well, like I said, I'm a, a huge fan. Anything I can do to, to help you guys on your mission. That's the other thing I love about this. You know, it's, it's one of the most purely mission-driven companies I've seen out there. Absolutely. I, I, I got up one morning and said I wanted to do something. I would have never thought that I would have gotten this far. I, I'll be honest with you, didn't know about genomic. Mm-hmm. The only thing I knew is that 22 suicides was just too much for me. And, uh, you know, I, I was blessed to have, you know, I've met Charles at FDA and we shared common core values and then ran into Dr. Cunningham, who immediately believed because, again, he was sitting on the other side looking for companies to come into the VA mm-hmm. with technology that had some meaningfulness mm-hmm. to it. And so it was a no brainer for him, for him to jump on the team. And um, we've just been you know, moving the needle along, uh, bootstrapping and, and sharing bunk beds and doing what we have to do in order to get this mission accomplished. Oh, man, I, I remember the first work trip where we didn't stay at a hostel international. That, that's like a milestone for early stage. That's, that, that's, that's a milestone. You know, I'm, I'm here in another accelerator where we're in a basement Airbnb with four complete strangers. That gets keeps the mission continues. So yeah, tell, tell us where you are today. I've heard some applause at the beginning of, of our conversation. It sound, you know, people yes. are cheering you on. <laughs> Absolutely. So right before I came out, I just did my two-minute pitch in there. I am at the Veteran Future Labs at NYU in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, NYU, to their service to the veteran community, has given a Veteran Future Lab accelerator for for veteran startup companies. Mm -hmm. And so we are here presenting to some of the um, executives at NYU of what our mission and goals are. There's about 30 co-founders, founders here pitching their ideas, and we are in a one-year cohort for the next year. Um, And it's really to help us, give us in-kind service, things that, as you mentioned, startup really can't afford. And so we're going to be able to utilize a lot of that. And uh, so, yeah, we're we're here. um, This is the third day of the orientation. And so uh, NYU has provided a lot of in-kind service to us Mm -hmm. so we can keep our mission, whatever it may be, going and and give us some uh, in-kind services here. Fantastic. Uh, Yusuf, thank you very much for your time today. This was a a real pleasure chatting with you. And um, I look forward to great things from True Genomics. Appreciate. Thanks you for making the time. And uh, I mean, again, if if anything, you walk away from this floor, we're we're, we're always looking for whether it's veteran community, you know, we're still raising funding, which is a big thing right now for us. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, if uh, there's anybody in the military community, veteran community that you touch base with, please let them know that True Genomics is here and our mission. And I'd be love to give them a walkthrough of what we're doing and, and, and what we're trying to do. Thank you. Thanks for having me. episode 13 of Talking Precision Medicine. Thanks for joining us.